Welcome to episode five of God in Company, a weekly podcast hosted by the Office of Youth Ministry at St. Anne's Church. God in Company is inspired by the quote from the Gospel of Matthew, for wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. We're fortunate to be joined not just by two or three today, but the fact that we have a total group of six for today's podcast. We're joined by four very active members of our youth and young adult com community, Karina Sanding, Caitlin Tongson, Xavier Garcia, and Jericho Abanico. Stacy Sarmiento will be engineering this episode, and I'm Jim Soltoff facilitating our discussion for today. Why don't we begin with introductions? Jericho, we'll start with you. Hey, Jim, Stacey, and the rest, um, rest of us all, um, thank you so much for keep, uh, inviting us and sharing this space with all of us. Uh, my name is Miss, um, oh, no, I'm not in school anymore. I'm sorry. My name is Jericho Abenico. I happen to be a confirmation teacher here at St. Anne's Catholic Church. Um, I was a part of the peer ministry program for some time. Um, truly, truly miss that program. And I'm a current student at the University of San Francisco, um, completing my uh, master's degree in education. Um, and I'm also the social justice coordinator at Moreau Catholic High School. Hello, my name is Caitlin. I am a junior at James Logan High School, and this is also my second year in Emmaus. Hi, my name is Xavier. Um, I am a senior at James Logan High School, and this is my third year as a peer minister at Emmaus, and it happens to be the first one virtually as well. Hi, my name is Karina Sanding. Thanks for having me. I am currently a confirmation teacher here at St. Anne's former member of the Emmaus Peer Ministry. Uh, currently, I teach math at Cristo Rey de la Salle High School in Oakland, and I'm also a graduate student at the University of San Francisco, getting my master's in teaching. Well, we're thrilled that all of you are here with us today. We are taping this on Wednesday, January 13th. Uh, it's the first time that we've taped this podcast by Zoom call because we can't be together, obviously, because of social distancing. So. Uh, we're all anxious to see how this comes out. Today's theme for our podcast is Voices the Challenge. And I think that it speaks well for the young church and the voice that you hold within our faith. In our conversation today, we're going to look at three topics. First, the upcoming Martin Luther King holiday, marking the birthday of the slain civil rights activist. Second, the current events of the day and these past months in our country. And third and finally, the importance and possibilities of moving forward in the area of social justice. So beginning with the Martin Luther King Day, what do each of you see as the importance of the day? What does it mean to you? And what effect do you think it has on our community? Jericho? Thanks, Jim. So I, I really feel that Dr. King really paved the way for civil rights for all people. Um, and when I say that, I, I take a look at even some of my own privileges and some of the things and my liberties and freedoms as a Filipino American and knowing that a lot of the things that I have and a lot of the privileges and some of the certain things that I'm able to do is because of Black liberation movements that uh, Dr. King and a lot of activists from that time have kind of paved the way for people of color and people in general just to kind of to have, right? So when I look at the importance of his work and with civil liberties and what we see today, I mean, I, I take a look back at 2008 and think about um, electing the first Black president, 
right? And a lot of that is paid because of the work that Dr. King has done. Um, and, you know, really celebrating that day and being able to pay homage to um, someone who wasn't afraid to fight against these injustices and, um, and really to give up their lives for that, right? Um, and we take a look in how uh, Dr. King modeled a sense of um, nonviolent aggression, right? Uh, we take a look at these different things that are um, happening in our world today. And, and, and I take a look at his examples and say, you know, how could we lead by example? How could we um, really pay homage to someone who has really fought for those changes in a nonviolent type of way? Um, and I connect it back even to our own faith, right? I mean, he's a steward of that faith. I mean, we take a look at Jesus, right? And sometimes I like to describe Dr. King as like a modern day Jesus, being able to fight against the modern day um, type of situations that are going on, injustices that we see in our world. So um, really for me, when I think about Dr. King and how he's paved the way for um, social justice to really um, continue, uh, just to continue the fight for social justice, I really see him as that beacon of hope for a lot of folks, and especially as an educator to continue the conversation uh, with folks around us on that. Yeah, I feel like I definitely agree with that. I feel like a lot of opportunities that we have now, like as people of color and in our society, I feel like that definitely, like we definitely have to give like appreciation and um, commemorate that from MLK and from the civil rights movement. Um, I feel like MLK Day also, I feel like with the narrative that I see it from, like the perspective has definitely changed over the years for me. I remember in elementary school when we would talk about MLK Day, I feel like they definitely sugarcoated it a lot. Like they didn't show a lot of like of the violence and the, the traumatic things that happened. And I guess it kind of makes sense though because we were kids, but at the same time, I feel like there was definitely this narrative that everything was in the past and we don't have to worry about like racism or prejudice anymore, which is definitely not the case. And then as I grew older, I feel like being more exposed to different realities and different experiences and like really seeing like what's been going on in our country. I feel like it shows that the civil rights movement, I feel like didn't really end. And I feel like it's still going on. Like, I feel like we're in a time period where there's, it's like a modern civil rights movement in my opinion, because I feel like we're seeing the aftermath effects of um, segregation, Jim Crow, and we're still seeing racism. So I don't know, I just feel like the narrative to MLK has definitely changed for me and like the perspective I see it from. And I just like, I know that it's important to commemorate and like honor what those in the past have done for us in the present day, but I also feel like there's still a lot more work to be done and a lot that still needs to be changed. I, I think I have a, a very similar um, perspective that Caitlin has as we're only like a, a year apart in age. And growing up, we talked about MLK Day and um, you know we've, we've seen pictures and uh, we've heard parts of his speech and, and uh, various speeches, but um, growing up in the Bay Area as a kid in the, in the 2000s, I didn't really see racism around me and I didn't really um, think that it was um, as recent as it actually was. And as I've grown up and as I've had the um, privilege of having several um, teachers through middle school and high school who have really uh, pushed the idea of social justice and have really showed me and taught me um, all of the injustices and social issues that occur in our country, um, not only in the past, but in the present, I've um, 
been able to garner a better appreciation of Martin Luther King. And something that really stick, sticks out to me is how we as a nation celebrate Martin Luther King. Um, and we have a day for him where back when he was alive and back when he was leading marches and giving speeches, he was seen as a villain. And um, it's important, I think, that we as a country were able to acknowledge that we made a mistake and we're now trying to celebrate him for the hero that he was and try to right our wrongs. And while we've, we've done some, I still think there's a long way that we have to go to really reach that um, end goal that Martin Luther King wanted. But um, I'm, I'm excited to see the, the growing energy and surge of people uh, pushing for social justice, especially this year. And I, I'm very hopeful uh, for the future. I was going to share a similar sentiment to what Caitlin said. When I think about Martin Luther King Jr. and what I learned in elementary school, I remember it that we got sort of this very Disney version of MLK, that he sort of ended racism and that racism ended with the civil rights movement. And that's all that I knew about it uh, for a very long time. Um, and I think it also, you know, points to, like Caitlin said, like there's very much modern civil rights movements happening today, but we've gone through periods of time where we had this sort of illusion of racial harmony or being in a post-racial America. And the Obama administration is a, is a good example. I think lots of people thought, oh, there's definitely no way racism exists. We've got a black president, but that's just not true. Um, and so I think the significance of Martin Luther King Jr. is just remembering that the fight continues. Um, and that Martin Luther King Jr. is an example of how people of Christian faith, because he was a reverend, um, how people of Christian faith are driven by their values to be resistors. And I think that sometimes when we stray away from um, what we perceive to be conflict in pursuit of racial justice, um, it can be a little misguided, because I think to, to really practice your Christian faith means to go against the grain and to fight actively to advocate for everybody in our community. Um, I think another thing that's important to note about Martin Luther King Jr. is I think that a lot of the grassroots organizing gets erased. Like Martin Luther King Jr. was, not that he was a guest speaker, but he got up there and he gave that I, had, I have a dream speech that we all know so well, but there was a lot of work done on the ground uh, by organizers. And so I think something maybe we can carry from that movement in general is that a lot of people doing that organizing work are not visible in the mainstream. And so just thinking about how we can support some of that work being done today. I apologize, I kind of rambled, but that's what I think about with Martin Luther King Jr. No, I, I think it's important to think of that is that there's no one, uh, no job that's less important you know, it, it takes a whole group of people to, to galvanize together and to um, bring about the message. I, I really appreciated what Caitlin brought up and what Xavier brought up as, as current students in high school. Um, you know, I, I think the part that I bring to this conversation is more because obviously my age is older. I can remember back and it's I wouldn't say it's a good memory, but I remember when uh, Reverend King was assassinated and the 
turmoil back in 68 was it was just crazy to think of you know we were going through protests of the vietnam war we were going protests through you know resist against anything that says what you have to do against big government um and then for for dr king to be assassinated um and ironically that night it was it was a speech given by bobby kennedy that was done in a way to help diffuse violence to diffuse uh what was going to be a race riot in birmingham um and and then tragically two months later bobby kennedy's assassinated so there it was a lot of turmoil in those times but i i think for martin luther king day for me you know it, there's a perspective of history that in it really wasn't even made a holiday recognizing his birth until 1983 by president reagan and but it, think of this in 83 it was declared a federal holiday but it wasn't until the year 2000 that every state celebrated it. So, you know, there were other states that named it differently. You know, they wouldn't even call it by what it was. Um, so I, I think that, Karina, what you mentioned about the idea that the sugar coating and the, uh, the idea of, oh, hey, it's just another holiday, we get off. You know, it's, it, it's so much more than that. For me, it's about continuing the cause of some of the greatest civil rights leaders, um, people like Jesse Jackson, Ralph Abernathy, Shirley Chisholm, Elijah Cummings, and most recently, Congressman John Lewis. Um, you know, Dr. King was a messenger of fairness and of nonviolence, but he also fought for the cause, you know, and if violence erupted, it, it normally it wasn't started by by him, he was on the receiving end, and many times it was tragically so. Um, but it isn't that long ago, you know. It isn't that that struggle doesn't continue. You know, I remember how hopeful I was in two thousand eight when the United States finally elected its first African American president. But you're right, Karina. That's that racism is still there. It's and it was just below the surface. And all it took was the current administration to bring that out. Um, you know, and I, I think of the tragic losses of life of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd this past spring. It was 30 years ago in 1991 that race riots broke out in Los Angeles when police beat up Rodney King. And it was 12 short years ago that Oscar Grant was killed at the Fruitvale BART station. So, so yes, the struggle continues each and every day. Um, I think it's ironic that the spot that King delivered his, his famous speech from at the Lincoln Memorial is a short 2.3 miles away. I don't know if any of you have been to Washington, D.C. to stand on that spot. There's a plaque right there that says this is where he delivered it from. It's only 2.3 miles away from where we focus, find our focus this week at the nation's capital. And that leads us into our next topic, 
the signs of the times and the news of the day. So th this is just a general question for each of you, but what are your perceptions of the current events in our nation today? Um, you know, I'll be real with you, Jim. It, it's still hard to process, right? My mind feels like it's a puzzle trying to piece everything together. Um, at sometimes I feel like to myself, you know, how do I process this? How do I um, internally feel about everything? Um, and, you know, and, and as an educator, it's like, how do I present this to my students? How are my students going to feel about it? Um, what are they going through? Um, sometimes I feel like we're so desensitized and we have to think about how, um, you know, it's a, it's a problem that's not affecting us, right? I, I always say that, oh, we live in California, we're so diverse here. And, and, you know, sometimes that's a scapegoat and sometimes that's a excuse that I make for myself a lot of times. Um, but the truth of the matter is it's, it, it's happening in our world, right? And it does affect us. Um, and sometimes I feel like there's just a lot of these different problems that are causing us to feel that way, or even that's where our, our privilege is heightened, right? We don't um, we don't experience it, therefore, why worry about it, right? That's not that's not our problem. It's a problem for another community. Um, when again, I really feel and think that this is a time where we have to kind of see how all of these things affect us, right? As human beings, as um, people, right? Um, it's 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 such a humanizing um, experience in that regard. And we, we do have to have those conversations around it um, as un uncomfortable as they are. Um, oftentimes like, you know, Karina, um, Caitlin and Xavier alluded to it also. I mean, um, Karina, you said it right on. Like, I mean, there's there's these Disney type of um, stories that we say, right? Oh, oh, it's just a fight of the capital. It's nothing, it'll go away, right? It'll eventually go away. Um, we need, we need, and then people are currently saying we need time for healing. So they're pushing it to the back burner, not addressing it. Right. Um, and I think we're so quick to do that as people, because we're conditioned to think that way, um, that we don't think about these ideas. We don't think about how it does affect us, but I do look at, um, the situations that are going on in our country today. And I, and you, you, you all are absolutely right. How has it changed since, um, the civil rights movement it might be something a little bit different, but the themes are still the same. It's the same 2000 years ago when Jesus was still alive, right? I mean, and, and you see how everything is connected from capitalism to racism to um, you taking a look at communities of color and gentrification. And um, it, there's so many intersections with that. Um, and I really feel and believe that if we don't start addressing those issues, that these, these problems are going to manifest itself in totally different ways, right? Um, and it's... I, I, I feel for the country, I feel for what's going on, and a part of me feels embarrassed to be an American at this point, right? Um, I mean, you have other countries looking at us thinking, what the heck is going on? Um, this is supposed to be a democracy, and yet we're still hindered from being able to fully be, um, in, you know, be equitable, be in equal, have equality, have um, these moments where we're able to kind of um, just thrive and live, right? I mean, there's always something holding us back. And um, if we, again, if we don't address these issues and teach our young folks and model and be able to uh, like share the truth or another narrative, um, we're never going to be able to grow as, as a community. Um, I think back to, um, there's this great TED talk on the dangers of a single story, right? And the narratives that are fed to folks and thinking that, um, this is black and white. It happens um, in, for one community and we don't see it affecting us. So um, I highly recommend it to folks, you know, search on YouTube, go search up the dangers of a single story. 
Um, but it's, it's an opportunity to really learn about how a one-sided type of um, narrative can really be dangerous for folks. And that's what I see happening right now. It's, it's, it's one narrative um, that's affecting our country and saying that this is the way it should be. Um, yeah, so sorry, kind of like rambling off there and going different tangents. But yeah, just the intersections with everything is, I, I think, causing this country to be in such a divide. Um, you know, later on, we'll talk a lot about like hope and stuff. And but um, yeah, I just I, I really feel that as people we really have to reflect and think about where we're at. But also, again, Karina, you mentioned it perfectly. You know, how do we continue to fight? How do we continue to stand up for, uh, to injustices? How do we look at all the pieces involved um, with these grassroots movements and continue to support and to advocate um, and to continue to be there as people. Yeah, I agree with that. I feel like there's definitely like a lot of intersectionality among like our issues in our country. And I also feel like it's kind of funny how like America kind of always puts itself on like a high pedestal, even though we have so many flaws and like failures in our government, in our country and in our country. I don't know, I just feel like it's just kind of weird, but uh, <laughs> I also feel like every day feels like a breaking news day. Like I feel like there's always something going on and it's kind of overwhelming, especially as a young person to be able to like consume all of that. And I do agree that sometimes it's very hard to process it, but I feel like in the world that we live in and the society that we live in, I feel like we have to consume it and we have to like acknowledge it and, um, I don't know, like be aware of it because if we don't be aware of it and we just ignore it, it's like, oh, it's just the 2020 thing or it's like, oh, it's just like, you know, sign of the times. But I feel like if we don't acknowledge it, then we can never move forward. I also think it's really interesting how all of these are kind of being in a spotlight um, like last year where we were in a pandemic. Like, I honestly find it super interesting, like that the world like literally stopped and our lives literally stopped for like all of this to come into the spotlight and for all of us to care about it and to like be aware and be educated about it. I feel like being in a pandemic also, everyone's like on their phones and, and their technology. And it's like, it took everyone to be on their phones and to be online for people to be like aware of like Black Lives Matter and all the injustices. And I don't know, I just think it's super interesting how that kind of uprooted like last year and it's all been happening like I feel like it's so built in in our institutions like it's literally how America like was built like it was from racism and oppression and it's just so interesting how it all came into the spotlight last like last year and it feels like it's new but it's really not that new and it's been like generations. I think that the events of January 6th um, we, we've been slowly building up to that point and so the events at the Capitol may not seem too drastic from the event before it, but that event is, you know, um, greatly different than what we would have expected, uh, you know, several years ago. And I, I think it's hard for us to, to recognize what's happening within our country because we live in our country and we've associated, um, We've associated the terms terrorism and we've associated um, rebellions with other nations. And it's, it's one of those situations where it, it's something that you can only recognize from the outside looking in. And when you're, you're in it, you know, um, 
it's it's almost impossible to fully see the whole scope of everything. And I, I'll acknowledge that our country is divided, but um, I honestly think that our moral and political disconnect isn't as great as we believe it is, which sounds hard to um, believe just by me saying it. But um, the way I look at it is a lot, a lot of the people who were at the Capitol the other day, they weren't there because they just wanted to cause violence for violence sake, but they truly believed that um, that their their rights were being taken away and that they were um, that that their election was being stolen, and it, it's it's out of their their belief in what they were doing, and it's, it's not um, and, and you know um, from my perspective, I, I didn't believe that the election was. Um, fraudulent. So it's hard for me to understand that part, but it's because different parts of our country have been told different things by the people we trust. Um, and so we, we don't share the same understanding of um, information. So it's hard for us to come together until we all can recognize, um, we, we, until we all can recognize the same things for being what they actually are. And that, that'll take time to rebuild trust and to um, break out of our uh, different groups that we've established ourselves into. And the, the saying that I was always told as a kid was sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Yet the, the words of our leaders and the words of people in power have caused destruction and has cost five people their lives within the last week. I think it's time that we, we try to be more um, proactive in making sure that we can establish what is truth from fact or what is fact from fiction because um, lately within uh, with the rise of technology and the internet and social media we've been given our own safe spaces to talk about anything we like and um, a lot of the stuff we we see is stuff that is isn't real but because it has a similar narrative to what we uh, think is real we just go along with it and that's very dangerous and um, or, or once, we're, once we're able to figure out what's fact from fiction, then we could come together as a nation and move on from uh, what, what's happened. Yeah, I think Caitlin and Xavier like hit it right on the head. Like it, we are in a place now where one, we cannot look away. Everybody's so tapped into technology and the news um, that we're all forced to, to face white supremacy in the, we're forced to look at it what am I trying to say? Sorry. Rewind. Uh, <laughs> we are forced to uh, face white supremacy head on and look at the ways that different systems in this country protect white supremacy. And I think a lot of people were drawing parallels between police reactions to Black Lives Matter protests and police responses to what happened at the Capitol last Wednesday. Um, wow, that's a week. That was a week ago. I hadn't even realized we're here now a week later, but I think lots of people are rightfully drawing parallels between the responses. That's not to say that, uh, you know, they, that's not to say that Black Lives Matter protesters were fighting for the same thing uh, that these writers in DC were, uh, but it's, it's very clear that there's disparity there. Um, for me, like I, my thoughts around it are that it's disappointing but not surprising 
kind of like Xavier said, like this is the result of tension that's sort of boiled over and trying not to point fingers. I also try to limit how much I talk about Trump, um, but he enabled white supremacists and he enabled some really hateful people and pushed a rhetoric um, that you know we've seen goes beyond just words, right? It's led to some real violence and some real destruction. And I think just the most important thing is that we can't, and people, folks have touched on this already, so I won't say much, but we can't take this event out of its context, not just modern context, but full historical context. And like Caitlin said, this country was built on violence, violence on black and indigenous bodies and you know, violence to uphold power for a very specific kind of community in this country. And so I think it's easy for us to dis since ourselves from racism and from evil, but there are a lot of important and sometimes uncom uncomfortable conversations to be had about our individual roles in this, right? How did we get to this point? And what have we enabled when we failed to speak up and speak out, right? Because mm -hmm. this is not just 2020, kind of like Caitlin was saying, I think it's easy to be like, oh man, like 2020, like blaming all these things that, you know, we're sort of inevitable on just like a one-off kind of weird year when it's it's really centuries of violence leading up to this point. Um, so those are just my thoughts and, you know, not to be petty, but it, it does kind of piss me off when I see people on social media who are just genuinely shocked at this, right? Like, I'm, I'm speechless, there are no words. I'm so shocked that our country is in this place. Um, when all the signs have pointed to this, we're just now at a point where nobody can look away. Yeah, I, th I think the your last point, Karina, of you know people saying how shocked they are, and yet, I mean, I was even thinking a week ago, Tuesday, Tuesday night, I knew of this rally that was going to happen the next day, and I think it a whole lot of people knew something was going to go down and yet people act like, Oh no, we didn't, we didn't hear any message of call to arms or anything. It's just not what happened. You know, so, um, I want to go back to, cause I, I think Caitlin made a, a good point about, you know, the whole COVID virus um, and in a way galvanizing the, the country, the world, that we all had to come together. Um, but at the same time, I like your point, Karina, that sometimes I think COVID can be the scapegoat for what uh, what's going on. You know, we can just say, like you said, it's a weird year. Um, you know, we're, we're still hoping for relief. And, and I think COVID is as much a part of what's going on in, in today's world, because it is. It's affected all of us. It's affected our our lives, our work, our school, our relationships, um, our worship. Um, we're taping this a few short hours after the House of Representatives has impeached President Trump for the second time. Um, and yet we still look at what the events of, that happened last Wednesday and see the loss of life um, and how tragic that was. But I, I think that what brings me hope is looking forward to next week's inauguration in the hopes that 
as Vice President Harris and President Biden get in, inaugurated, that the, I, the words that I remember from someone that we either know of or, well, I, I met him, Father Alfred at St. Anthony's, um, that we have to look past judging people by race, color, creed, or wealth, or lack of it, and to look and treat each person with dignity and respect. And I think if there's anything that I am hopeful of for next week is that it starts at the top and that I have every hope and reason to believe that dignity and respect will return with the coming administration. That doesn't excuse all the work that has to still be done by all of us. I mean, it's not to say, oh, great, President Biden's coming in and everything's all good. It, it sure as hell is a long way from that. But we're all called to continue to walk those roads of, of justice. Um, so I, I think as I listen to each of you and, and seeing what's going on in our country and, and our world, and it can be depressing, but we're called to be a people of hope. Um, and that brings us to our last topic, practicing social justice and moving forward not living in the past, admitting the past is there, seeing the present, but what, how can we move forward? So my, my question for each of you is, how do you see social justice working in communities so desperately in need? And maybe along with that, where do you see signs of hope of that happening? When, when I think about your question, Jim, I, I really it really brings me back to um, one of my favorite readings in the book of James, um, and I have it in front of me, I'll just read this real quick, um, but it says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, deeds um, can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without daily clothes uh, or daily food. If one of them says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does not do anything about their physical needs, then what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. So even in the Bible, it even states that, you know, it, it's not about, it's not about, um, it's not about just, just saying you have faith, right? Or I'm trying to believe in this. It has to be associated with actions, right? Um, and um, in, in whatever kind of capacity, all of us have gifts and talents that are given from above. And we, we, we are we're people that will do certain things in certain ways. But I mean, you know, like I, I look at this space even, like I'm, I'm speechless because I look at the faces in front of me and I'm thinking like, what wisdom from Xavier, Caitlin and Karina? Like, I mean, like that, I mean, just even the space in front of me, right? It's like, like Xavier, you were one of my students in the seventh grade. All you, I, I was thinking all y'all gonna concerned about was playing games, right? And hearing you talk now so eloquently, it's like, wow. Like there's that hope, right? Um, Caitlin, the same way, like I was mentioning before this meeting started, you were like 11 when I coached you in volleyball. Like, I mean, and, and hearing where you're at now um, gives me hope that you're gonna be, you're gonna be a policymaker one day, hopefully, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And someone that's gonna be making those changes and like Karina with you, it's like, you know, I mean, you were, sorry, Stacey, you're yelling at Stacey about some kid and some daycare thing at one point, you know, like, I'm sorry for bringing that up, but I mean, I, you know, I see the different walks in life and hope is right in front of us. And I see it within our young people, especially. And, but that's the thing I think where 
I come in with this is being able to provide those opportunities where young people can see and hear a different side. Um, I like to look back at, um, you know, our school, right? Our, our namesake for Father Moreau. And Father Moreau said something about education and how um, it's the work of resurrection. It was meant to be a liberation from the darkness of ignorance. It was meant to be a vehicle for the transformation of society. And, and it was meant to be a process that helped to make all things, especially the person engaged in it new. So really looking at education and continuing to, um, again, see things around us. Uh, everyone has kind of pointed out to it. Um, can't run away from these things. It's right in front of us. But it's up to us to learn about these different things. Um, it's up to us to really see um, what's going on in the world, to learn, to talk to people, and to continue to engage, um, but also to call out the injustices that we see right in front of us. Um, and what does that mean? Starting out with the things that we see in our daily lives, um, whether it's the words that are spoken or the things that we see um, going grocery shopping or whatever it is, right? Um, it's all about being that upstander instead of that bystander. Um, it's all about just being able to address that. So, um, no, I, you know, again, um, to Xavier and Caitlin, I mean, for, for high school students, no, for people in general, like you both are amazing. And just hearing your wisdom um, gives me a lot of hope that students and young people are really going to drive this. And, and one thing I did want to mention too, um, you know, we look at a lot of movements, social movements that have happened in the past and today, and young people are the driving force in those movements. Um, so, you know, I have so much hope. Um, the fight continues and the work continues, um, but I have so much hope that there are people, again, um, like Caitlin, like Xavier, who will, who are able to drive this movement forward, um, and educators like Karina, you know, like, I mean, she, like, and, and again, Karina, you worked with us in the past over at Moreau, but just seeing your work with students and seeing like how passionate you are of with all of this, like, again, it, it's people that brings me hope and then conversations like this and the healthy discourse and being able to just see um, things happen. So I, you know, um, again, Jim, thank you for the opportunity for sitting here to be able to listen to this wisdom and to be able to kind of hear how hope, it, how hope can arise, right? It, it's right in front of us. So um, no, thank you for that. Yeah, I feel like Jericho pretty much hit the bullseye there. I feel like um, definitely, I was about to say it too. I was about to say like education is a really big thing. And I feel like, especially if you teach some concepts to even younger people, I feel like that's a lot of value there. Cause like, I feel like kids are like a sponge. I feel like they can just like grasp anything. And it's really beneficial to our societies too. If we could teach our young, like younger kids, like even younger than me, because like, they're the ones who are going to grow up to like be in our societies and work in our institutions. So I feel like that'd be cool and very, it would really progress the social movement too. I don't know. I feel because I feel like Jericho honestly just said everything like that I was going to say. And I also want to like, <laughs> uh, since like you, um, Karina and Jericho, like you guys are educators, I also want to like say thanks and like appreciation because I feel like, um, having that position to like really educate other like students like me and like Xavier and like other high school students I feel like it's really important for us to like understand different concepts like and the term unlearning like unlearning like um white supremacy like concepts in our education system if you think about like um our history like a lot of it comes from like the winner side 
or like the master narrative and you don't really get to see like the subordinate group or like the minorities so I feel like having that representation with our, like our teachers and what we learn in our classrooms I feel like that's very very valuable and knowledge is power <laughs> um yeah I mean that that's that's pretty much it but uh yeah like like Jericho or Mr. Avenico, you taught me seventh and eighth grade. And I remember that's where I first, you know, became interested in social justice and being more aware of my surroundings and government and politics. And I think we started with the, the Dakota Access Pipeline. And um, I, I remember all of that. And that's stuff I think about a lot, especially um, nowadays. And I've been lucky, I mentioned earlier, um, educators who have pushed social justice. You were one of them. And in high school, I've had uh, Mr. Boyd, who teaches psychology at Logan, and uh, Ivan Santos, who, you know, teaches um, Asian American studies. And um, yeah, and, and I, I believe Caitlin and I think Jim as well mentioned how with COVID and quarantine, there's been a giant magnifying glass to everything that happens because there's only a few select things that have really happened uh, this past year in 2020. And I, I feel like with all of the um, craziness that's happened around the world, not only this year, but in the last several years, young people have kind of been forced to take in this information that I think Caitlin described earlier as um, at times being an overload. And um, it's kind of energized us and um, not, I want to use the word radicalized, but it's gotten us to jump into um, paying attention to the news and paying attention to current events. And that's something that I think will really carry us forward in the future. And um, I mentioned earlier how with the internet, it could create um, very, very opposing viewpoints. But at the same time, the, the internet connects people from different parts of the world. And I think that's the, the important um, part that we need to, to focus on because people who live in one part of the world don't understand people in another part of the world until they um, come together and until they interact with each other. And from then on, we'll be able to create a more unified world where everyone's more accepted and appreciated. And something I've heard it go, go around a lot, especially after the events of the Capitol was that this is not who we are. And I, I think that, that's true. Not everyone is like that, but honestly, I think at the moment, this is, or at this moment as a whole, this is who we are, but that doesn't mean that that's who we have to be. And um, I think we need to take it as a learning lesson and we need to, um, you, know, you know, teach our kids and have this current generation uh, teach their kids and so on um, the importance of uh, accepting others and, you know, um, and, and, and racism and, and uh, prejudice and all that stuff is, is taught. So once we're able to, uh, uh, once we're able to remove the source, then we're able to create a uh, better future. Man, I hate going last because you all said such great things. Uh, so I'll keep it pretty brief. Um, I guess just moving forward, I, I think the beautiful thing about being people that care about social justice and being Catholics is that a lot of the guidance that we look for is right there, right? We've been taught to love thy neighbor. And I think that sometimes it gets misconstrued, like loving thy neighbor has been misconstrued as just tolerating your neighbor, you know, practicing passive non-judgment. But when you think about how you treat the people you love, you make sure that they're heard, you make sure that they're taken care of, you make sure that they're safe, you make sure that their needs are met. 
um, and you make sure they know that you love them. And so I think that that is a more active thing to take on than I know I personally have uh, taken on in the past. And so I think that, that, you know, social justice and Catholic faith go hand in hand. And so I think moving forward, keeping those together and not avoiding difficult conversations around race or around just general social justice issues um, simply because it would stir the pot or um, rock the boat or things like that. And I think it means just advocating for all members of our community and um, that can happen on the local level too, right? And I think that at St. Anne's, we do a really great job of advocating for like the unhoused community in the local area. And I think that, that work continues and kind of like people have touched on, we shouldn't shy from having conversations about race uh, because until we reach real true racial equality, um, the conversations have to continue and they have to spill over into our everyday actions. And um, it means not picking and choosing what spaces we wanna speak out in. It means really disrupting those cycles of oppression uh, in every single space that we're in, whether it's a school or even in our own church community, right? How can we carry on these difficult conversations guided by love for our neighbors? Well, well Karina, I'm the one that has to go last. <laughs> right, right, uh, I forgot. <laughs> But I, I think there's a luxury in that because I, I've just sat here and um, marveled at each of you and the words, the wisdom, the faith, the passion that, that comes out of that. Um, you know, I, I was thinking that what what does hope mean? And I, I think it, it's like, I think what Jericho said, it's right in front of me on this Zoom screen. Um, you know, I've had the luxury of knowing all of you for a long time. Um, I didn't get to teach Jericho, but I met him as a young violinist. Um, and I still think back with um, very fond memories of Karina being a part of my last confirmation class that I taught. Um, so I'm inspired by, by young people. And I think Jericho, you brought that out about, it's young people that not only give us hope, but are leading the way to what is right. Um, you know, the gospels challenge us directly to be people of peace, but I think it, Karina, as you said, it doesn't always mean just, oh, you know, it's okay. Love your neighbor, look the other way. It means doing the difficult things, and I think we see that in Scripture in in the um, uh, in the story of the prodigal son. You know that uh, there was big risk taken with that, uh, not just the prodigal son, but the good Samaritan. Um, so I'm inspired by young people. I remember only I think two years back, Emma Gonzalez through the March for Our Lives, and not just her efforts, but all the people around this country that that gathered to make the largest gathering of young people ever. And I firmly believe that those gatherings led to the change in what election took place this last November. 
Um, you know, we've we've met Greta Thunberg in her efforts to continue to fight for the world's climate. More locally, recently, we've met Tiana Day um, through Youth Advocates for Change. But it isn't any, it isn't necessarily those one or two individuals. It's inspired by each of you as you live your passions, as you see these wrongs each and every day, and as you decide the best way to respond. That's what responsibility is, our ability to respond. So in, in closing, um, I wanted to ask if anybody had any final thoughts that you'd like to share? Yeah, Jim, I, I, again, thank you for allowing, um, and, and, and Jim and Stacey, thank you for allowing this space to happen for the dialogue and conversation. Um, one thing I think you mentioned about um, social justice and continuing the movement, and also um, a lot of times people think that social justice work is all about the negatives that we see, right? There's problems going on, we have to fix it. There's problems going on, we have to fix it. Um, but we also got to remember to celebrate um, like who we are as people. I think sometimes we don't talk about the beauty within our humanities and the beauties about our stories, our narratives, and things of that sort. So um, I really firmly believe that um, all of us have this, we're on this journey, right? And those journeys are um, those journeys are, are, are excellent, they're beautiful, they're a part of life's experience, right, and it's very humanizing, so um, again, just allowing us to just have this shared space and just to allow us to have that conversation is, you know, worthwhile. Okay, as we normally do, and before I go back to that, I want to say thank you to each of you, um, your, your insights, your wisdom, like I said, your passion, your friendship, mean a great deal. Um, I think if anything, what comes out of this is hopefully our audience realizes that every single person has a voice, you know, and that voice doesn't necessarily, one voice that will never make a movement, but it can certainly start one. And it's through those conversations and through those voices that we're inviting other people to say, come and see. And when you come and see, come with us, be a part of us. Our custom is to close our time together with prayer. I recall in, our, in my high school years, um, for every class, our Christian brothers would say, used to say this before every class started. And so I'll say it now. Let us remember that we're in the holy presence of God. In the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. God, you have given all people one common origin. It is your will that we be gathered together as one family in yourself. Fill the hearts of humankind with the fire of your love and with the desi desire to ensure justice for all. By sharing the good things you give us, may we secure an equality for all our brothers and sisters throughout the world. May there be an end to division, strife, and violence. May there be a dawning of a truly human society built on love and peace. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jericho, Karina, Xavier, and Caitlin, thank you so much for being a part of this episode. I really enjoyed listening to your insights and your experiences on today's topic. For updates and more information about our parish, 
and the Youth Ministry Program, please visit our website at stannecatholic.org or follow us on Instagram at stannym, and that's spelled out as S-A-I-N-T-A-N-N-E-Y-M. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and until our next one, have a safe and blessed week. Take care.